0: rub it up and welcome to cars yeah show number 2330 today we're going to get very technical technical in regards to formula one race cars so buckle up and be prepared to be inspired this is cars yeah where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts mark green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah! Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars Yeah! I'm back across the pond today, a place I visit quite often in the UK with a very special guest by the name of Steve Rendell. Steve, welcome to Cars Yeah! Do you have any gear and are you ready to release the clutch?
1: I am ready to release the clutch. Thank you, Mark. Good to meet you.
0: Yeah, well, good to meet you, too. And this is a guy who knows how clutches work and everything else in automobiles. And we're going to be talking about the technology in Formula One today. But before we start, I always ask my guests this. One little thing that you could share that most people don't know about you, Steve.
1: Well, I had to think hard. And um, I was trying to think of something with an automotive theme. and And I decided that when I was younger... One of my passions, well, still is, was aviation and aircraft, as well as um, cars. Oh, yeah. Often seems to be the case. And so I could actually fly glider... Solo, before I was allowed to drive a car. Oh, wow. Uh, Solo, which always amused me because that just seems like a a strange situation.
0: Oh, how beautiful. You know, I grew up in Southern California, and above Blacks Beach, Torrey Pines there, was a glider port. And we used to go up there and watch the cars would drive towards the edge of the 300-foot cliff with a cable and launch the gliders. And you could go for rides, and gliders um, always looked beautiful. They also had the people that would do the hang gliding off the cliff there you know it. yes yeah. coincidentally the day we're recording this show my guest uh on cars yeah the day we're recording is a uh, jordan smith his call sign is joker he's an air force pilot and one of the things that he pilots is um these drone craft that are huge airplanes that go out and fly without people on them you know on the other side of the planet uh but still you've got to have some technical prowess and and be able to fly he's flown regular aircraft before too so uh interesting timing that we're talking about aircraft
1: absolutely today. yes yeah and i guess you know to fly drones you if you're a pilot qualified pilot that's gonna help isn't it because well, yeah. you just have the reflexes you know exactly what's going on so yeah a bit different to a glider though but <laughs> well, i think it was relatively tame compared with drones i think
0: well i would think so they call these things reapers and uh yeah they fly uh, halfway around the world well you know, go on missions and so forth, and uh, the technology is mind-bending. But that's what we're going to talk about today: is some pretty mind-bending technology <laughs> that you're involved in. So let me give you an introduction here. Steve Rendell is a freelance writer and editor with a passion for all things featuring engines, wheels, wings and in particular, Formula One cars. He's the author of Evro Publishing's book titled Formula One Technology, The Engineering Explained. His early interest in F1 was ignited by seeing John Watson win the British Grand Prix at Silverstone back in 1981. His strong interest in engineering and hands-on vehicle maintenance resulted in him working for Haynes Publishing, those car folks of us all know about Haynes, <laughs> for many, many years, initially researching, editing, and writing car repair manuals. And later, commissioning, editing, and when the time allowed, writing motorsports books in addition to titles covered by other subject areas. Uh, He competed in several seasons of hill climbing and sprinting uh, laterally with a self-built Ford Pinto-powered Westfield. Very interesting. And he has been a member of the Guild of Motoring Riders for over 20 years years. We're going to learn a lot more about Steve and this new book and about F1 cars, but first a word from our sponsors. So give them a little love and we'll be right back. Years ago, when it was time to renew my collector car insurance policy, my carrier's rates went up. Way up, but my usage was the same, and I never made a claim. I didn't even have a ticket. So, what's with that? So, I turned to American Collector's Insurance. Has your collector car insurance recently raised your rates for no good reason? Tired of paying an annual membership fee? Then it's time to look around and call American Collector's Insurance. I shopped around, I asked friends for recommendations, and found a winner Nine three two four, And protect the ones you love, like I did, with American Collector's Insurance. Classic car insurance designed by collectors for collectors. Did you know that Cars yeah is in the top 1% of all podcasts based on listenership, according to Lipson, the premier RSS feed for podcasts in the United States. That's right. Plus, DuPont Registry recommended Cars Yeah! is one of their top 10 car podcasts for you to enjoy. Cars yeah has experienced tremendous growth, plus your ads are evergreen, meaning they never go away. And more and more listeners find Cars yeah every day for their daily dose of automotive inspiration. Do you want to expose your brand to a highly targeted list of automotive enthusiasts in a very unique and very personal way? Well, I can help you. Contact me, Mark Green, at Carsia.com or through the website at Carsia.com today to learn more. If your car started today, well, thank attack. If that truck delivering your goods today got to your home or your business, thank attack. If that airplane you rode in took off and landed safely, And if that boat you're riding in arrived at the dock safe and sound, that's right. Thank a tech. One thing the pandemic has taught us is that great techs keep America rolling. They are essential workers and we need them. Support career and technical education by getting involved with TechForce Foundation. It's a cars yet charity of choice. Learn more at techforce.org today. So Steve, we are back. So we're going to dive a little deeper in the corner, actually real deep in the corner and talk about Formula One, take some laps, um, enjoy some technical sides of this incredible sport. But before we do, I want you to kind of bring us up to speed on how you got to where you are here, because as I mentioned, you are a mechanic, you know how things work. So how did your life transpire up into what you're doing today? Where'd this all begin?
1: Well, I guess my father was always a car fanatic and an airplane fanatic, anything mechanical. And I think that part of it's in my genes. And I grew up in um, late 70s, early 80s, when if you had a car as a young person, you, you had to maintain it yourself. There they're really, people didn't have the money to go out and just take things to a shop, to a garage. So we had to do it ourselves. My dad taught me how to maintain my first car, which was a Quite a nasty English car, actually, called an Austin Allegro, very ancient thing, quite basic. It had a, a Austin A-Series engine, which was um, the engine that went in the Mini. And, uh, yeah, I just learned to, to maintain it. It went wrong quite a lot, as cars of that <laughs> era tended to do. And I learned how to how to fix it. And I, I think from that, I just gained this curiosity to try and find out how things worked. So, the usual thing through the education system and i decided that i'd I'd love to get into cars and engineering and really motorsport because that became a passion alongside the road cars Uh, again inherited from my dad really who as i think you mentioned earlier took myself and my brother along to silverstone way back 1981 and we saw our first grand prix and i think i was just awestruck by the the spectacle the noise Primarily in the colour of it all and the excitement, and that really hooked me onto well Formula One because that was my first real experience of car racing and then motorsport generally. So when I finished at school, um, I went to do uh, a course in engineering at what actually then wasn't called university in the UK; it was a polytechnic uh, mechanical engineering. And if I'm honest, I found I, I loved the engineering, but the mathematics was a huge challenge um for me so i did the first year of that course and i carried on and did lots of practical uh coursework which was all part of it because it was a uh, one of those courses where you you go for a year and learn the theory and then you go into industry or or practical college for a year so i did that and i, I came back and thought hey i'm not going to excel at engineering in terms of being able to design and build racing cars, which is what I wanted to do. So let's change track and find another way to to get into motorsport. So I finished with that and I got a job actually partly because I'd done that course with, with Haynes Publishing. Um, yeah, and it, it, it was great. It was the the heyday of that particular company. There were a lot of manuals being produced and and it's exciting cars around and i started right at the, the sort of very bottom really i was collating research material for the authors at that time to write the car repair manuals which i think you you know well in the us as well and they were big in in the uk at that time so i started with them and sort of progressed okay over a period of time and in i think three or four years i was editing and then had an opportunity to actually write some of those books and Yeah, I mean, I really enjoyed that because I enjoy learning about mechanical things, as I mentioned previously. And that gave me a, a great chance to start looking at current cars and literally pulling into pieces with a mechanic and a photographer. We used to have a team of three. And, you know, it was it was great learning something new every day. And that was the era when we were just about moving into fuel injection and emission systems. So it was the tail end of carburetors and pretty basic stuff by today's standards. Yeah. And then I carried on on that track for probably nearly 10 years with the writing side of things um, for Haynes and also worked on a few books about other automotive subjects like air conditioning and paint refinishing, that kind of thing, putting books together to help people coming newly into those trades to, to find their feet and, and learn how the systems worked. And then an opportunity came along within the company to to move over to the other Division. So we had the division producing the car manuals, and another side that worked on what I would say a more mass market motoring and motorsport books. So in other words, anything that wasn't a repair manual. And I, I took that opportunity. I was lucky to be offered it, and then that's how I moved on to the the motorsport book side of things and um, commissioning and editing and project managing motorsport and motoring book projects.
0: Nice evolution.
1: Yes, it was. Yeah, as I was very fortunate. Uh, all that was going on within the company at the time. So I, I moved across. You know, the people I worked with were gave me some really good opportunities. And so from that, um, I was able to work with some really interesting people and, and projects in the motorsport and motoring world. Because I'd already had the experience of writing, albeit more instructional material, I had the opportunity to, to actually start writing a few books. And that was when I... I found I could combine those those two areas and so the first projects that I wrote in that vein were actually about Formula One cars, the first books actually explaining how they worked, researching the engineering and the history of the cars, etc. so that was great because I, I sort of was able to combine those two fields and that they really took you behind the scenes of the team and the history of the car and uh, more, more importantly, from my point of view, I suppose, the actual engineering. So talking to the guys who put those cars together and who ran them and some of the drivers, too, to, to get you kind of under the skin of those cars and, and find out how they worked and um, how they were run, how they were operated.
0: Very cool. Well, your book, as I read, demystifies the extraordinary technology in F1 cars by meticulously dissecting the F1 car. uh, In your words, technical diagrams, you've got illustrations, photographs, and so forth. So let's talk a little bit about this. And one of the things I wanted to ask you was... When it comes to the inspiration of an F1 car from your side of your passion, going back to that racing adventure in 81, the first F1 race, and then your entire career, what is the most inspirational thing for you that you uncovered as you were writing this book about Formula One technology?
1: I, I think it's probably, well, the dedication of the engineers and the the incredible eye for detail. You know, nothing on those cars, no bolt, no no radius on a curve of, of bodywork. nothing is on those cars and unless it's for a reason and it's going to make the cars faster and when you look at the detail and the number of hours that goes into the analysis and the design the the thought processes um, it's incredible and I think the only parallel I can really think of is the um, the, the military aviation or, or space industry with that kind of attitude um, and obviously you know the budgets do help as well um and i think that that is the case throughout motorsport but particularly with formula one sometimes you look at it and think hang on have we gone too far but i I do find that fascinating
0: yeah uh, well no kidding you know a few weeks ago i had uh ex-formula one racer stefan Johansson on the show and i asked him a question i said what are your what is your opinion on the new ev cars and he answered in a very unique way compared to many people the way they answer. And he said, you know what? I'm not so sure the path they're going down is the right path. What they should just do is hire a bunch of Formula One engineers and experts and designers, give them three years, and they'll figure out what the best way and the most economical way to do this is. (laughs) And I thought that was a really interesting answer to that question, because those guys have to figure out as you said, incredible technology. They do it in a way, although with a lot of money, but um, you know, when it comes to designing cars, it's expensive. That could come up with a better way that's a combination of powering vehicles, but also maybe what's best for the environment. So I thought that was a, a unique answer. And as you were walking through the different Aspects, and I'll list off some things that are commonsensical here. But chassis, aerodynamics, suspension, transmission, electronics, engines, wheels, tires, car design, setup, and analysis. My gosh, you covered every aspect of this. Were there some areas that were really challenging?
1: Yes, I think. I think the challenging thing is is a obviously you've got to understand the subject yourself within reason to be able to write about it I, I don't profess to be an expert in any one of those areas that you just mentioned but you sort of need that an analytical mind to have that overview but also i think you know you, you try and put yourself in the position of of somebody who's curious about how these things work and so i kind of think of myself as being in quite a lucky position Definitely. that I, I have the um you know the the resource and, and and I can research these things figure out how it all works because you know I don't just sit here knowing how it all happens it, it's the it's the research of finding out which is the most interesting part so I, I I've just always tried to put myself in the shoes of somebody picking this book up for the first time and thinking well what what would I like to know what are the things that maybe might seem really obvious to people close to the subject but might not be obvious at all to somebody coming to this for the first time. And you've just got to try and do that without, without sort of patronizing people and just sort of trying to pitch it at the right level, which is quite tricky. But um, well, no that's doubt. what I try to do.
0: <laughs> yeah, so this leads to a nice segue for that comment. And it, it is, what was one of the most intriguing aspects of a Formula One car that you went, wow, I, I didn't even know that?
1: I think probably some of the gearbox technology that's used now where basically the, the cars are continually under power. So they're actually engaging the next gear before the gear that is being used has, has been released.
0: Okay, wait a minute. Did, what did you just say? They're engaging well, the gear before? The,
1: what? Yeah, <laughs> a very, very clever system. Um, I mean, gosh, the engineering is is phenomenal, but... Essentially, you've got a ratio engaged as on, as on any car, as on a road car. And obviously, when you take that car out of gear or lift off the throttle you're going to lose momentum lose speed
0: oh i got, okay now i see what you yeah
1: yeah so what they do with these cars and it's not exclusive to formula one but um it's formula one that really switched me onto it they're engaging so say you're in third gear they're actually going to engage fourth gear electronically via a system of clutches and very clever ball bearing and, uh, and a sort of uh, a lever clutch system i can't really explain it without reading the book and that gear is already to go the previous gear disengages and there's no discernible break in that whatsoever so the car is under power the entire time
0: that's so cool Uh, you know i never thought about it that way but yeah you're right because there's just fractions of seconds that they don't want to lose any momentum and now that the cars are basically sequential gearboxes i guess would that be the right way to describe the way they operate now
1: Yes, these are uh, sequential, but they're also seamless shifts. So there's absolutely, there is literally no drop in power whilst they're shifting at all.
0: Are there any? Has that technology been translated in any any streetcars?
1: I don't think it has. No. Um, it has two other branches of motorsport, certainly, but I don't think any street cars. Uh, I could be wrong on that, but I, I'm not aware of any street cars that use. Well, that you technology. think of
0: some of the, like, for instance, Porsche PDK and how seamless the the shifting is on these cars. Ferrari street cars, uh, you know, the paddle shifters and all these things that are just so fast and you know so easy, so smooth uh, these days. Uh, Quite interesting stuff, but yeah, the technology I could see for someone like you that has so much experience looking at that and just going, "Oh my gosh, this is uh, this is something else." Was there a category that I ran through that you covered of all these different things from chassis to suspension, aerodynamics, electronics that was maybe even somewhat intimidating for you of how am I going to write about this so the common thought process person could could understand this because it's so technical
1: well i I think probably aerodynamic because that's a subject you could write several volumes on and the deep understanding of that is is something you need to really really study probably for for years so i think Um, yes it's quite challenging to give an overview and and try and explain the reason for each of the components being there and also how all those components interact because certainly with Formula One and I I think probably IndyCar now too aerodynamics is the the dominating factor in in being competitive and so um, the amount of time and analysis again that's spent on aerodynamics is phenomenal and that's the main drive because it doesn't matter if, if you, you have a great engine, fantastic driver, if the aerodynamics are not absolutely cutting edge, the car isn't going to win. And, you know, conversely, the slightest amount of damage, even down to having a visor, one of the drivers' visor tear offs, just come off and, and stick for a moment on the nose or on the wing, I mean, that can knock, you know, maybe a tenth, certainly hundreds, oh maybe gosh. a tenth or more off a lap time. Wow. Um So it's, it, it, it is mind blowing and yeah the aerodynamicists the aerodynamics teams they are they are very clever people. I think they're just thinking on different plane to most of us with the analysis they can do
0: right i I can't even imagine was there one aspect of putting this book together that was your favorite
1: I think probably the engine side of things. Mm-hmm. I've always loved engines and and finding out how they work and the (laughs) noise they make to be honest and so you know today in in F1 you've got hybrid cars with a a 1.6 litre turbo internal combustion engine and then a a hybrid system and those two are designed as an integral unit by the um, the engine manufacturers so you've got four engine manufacturers in Formula One and I think that's another aspect of, of F1 you've got 10 different teams and you've got four engine manufacturers and okay you've got the set of rules and they're fairly tightly defined but when you think that's 10 sets of engineers 10 big teams of people and then four engine manufacturers and despite all that and the, the different paths to their solutions the cars are still lapping within fractions of a second of each other
0: it's incredible, isn't it? When you think, I, you yeah, know, I always thought about that thinking, okay, this is uh, maybe not going back to the days of Can Am or some of the wild, let's say, turbo engines uh, of Formula One, where you've got, you know, V6s and eights and fours, and, and they still ran so close, but now they're all within just fractions of seconds. It's
1: incredible. Yeah, it is, and and people talk now about the big gap, particularly this year in Formula One between the speed of the Red Bull and the other teams. But you're you're still only talking generally about less than a second. <laughs> uh, yes, gap. of course, in, in <laughs> motorsport terms, that is a lot. But you you sit in your road car, and if you can can drive a car consistently within a second around any sort of circuit, you, you're already a very very good driver. Right.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's just it's just amazing uh, when you look ahead. To your bucket list, is there a, a book in this area that you'd like to write in the future?
1: Well, I think I'd like to keep keep abreast of what's going on in Formula One and and maybe take this book forwards and update it in a few years' time. Because looking back at the introduction, the, the early chapters in this book, the first chapter talks about the history of F1 technology and how we've got to where we are today. And I just wonder where we'll be in another you know, five, certainly ten years, who knows, I guess we won't have internal combustion engines by then, most probably.
0: Probably not, yeah, unfortunately we'll lose that wonderful sound, but There'll be things that will pick up, I would guess, and they will probably be mind-bending speeds. I I think these these drivers are going to have to start wearing G-suits like pilots do. (laughs) Yes.
1: (laughs) They certainly need to have a a darn good workout. I mean, I think the net muscles for for modern single-seater and sports car drivers, I mean, goodness, I think the forces are incomprehensible to most of us.
0: Yeah, yeah. People that say, oh, race car drivers aren't athletes, I say, well, you get in that car just as a passenger and try to to not pass out when they go through a corner uh probably not going to happen you know i love to to share stories about my guests personal lives and cars and i wondered if you could share a special vehicle in your life and a story about that ride maybe it's the austin allegro or maybe something (laughs) something a little better i don't know
1: uh i think it has to be something a little better yeah yes i i've had a a car called a westfield which is people may not know what that is but it's a it's a british um a take on the lotus 7 caterham Mm, car yeah which is a very very basic two-seater sports car no roof no windows no doors no boots just two seat an engine at the front rear wheel drive and very very light so it's probably about i'm guessing 14 1500 pounds and as a sort of 20 something year old i was quite keen to go faster in cars and um I bought this this car, this Westfield. It had been built by somebody else because they are actually kit cars. So you buy the kit of parts and put them together yourself. And at the time that was quite expensive. So I bought the thing fully built. But I think it had been built probably by somebody who maybe hadn't done that before and um, I'm thinking they probably scared themselves when they first got in it because <laughs> it's, a, it's a very small very very quick car for the road and so they, they sold it I bought it took it to pieces, and rebuilt it and um, one of my first long journeys in it was actually with my girlfriend at the time to drive up to um, well Yorkshire in the uk which is about two hundred and fifty miles probably from where I, I live and we took this car with all our camping kit, because we were, we were camping <laughs> under canvas, just strapped on the back of the roll bar with bungee cords. Um, I'd taken my crash helmet, which was in the passenger compartment on the floor, and we <laughs> made it all the way up. And it was horrible weather, really, really nasty rain, cold, put the tent up, went to the pub and, uh, and had lunch and we stayed there for two days because it was at a this venue was a a hill climb course which in the uk hill climbs are are sort of speed events for cars so you basically just go as fast as you can against the clock over a usually very narrow and windy course and this one was through a a farmyard which was quite exciting (laughs) went there and came home and i thought well that's it i've blown this relationship well i was gonna uh, ask
0: did she she go out with you again after that
1: well well, she's she's been my wife for 25 years well there you go you found the right
0: lady right right.
1: (laughs) exactly yes
0: wow yeah not too many i'm not sure sure too many women would uh want to do that again that wasn't much fun Uh, especially in that kind of weather now is that the car you sent me the picture of the red one
1: Yes, it is. Okay. That's right. Yes. Okay. Well, yeah. you
0: listeners uh, will see a picture of this vehicle that he's talking about on Steve's <laughs> show notes page on the Cars Yeah website. Those of you in the cars know what he's talking about when you think about, of course, the Caterham or Lotus 7s and those cars. But uh, yeah, I had the pleasure years and years ago driving a similar car uh, on our local racetrack. And oh my gosh, those things feel like you're going twice as fast as you're going as well. Just because of the how low you are in the open top. Quite fun
1: yes they're they're fabulous fun the only thing is they they can be quite scary driving them on the on the public roads in traffic sometimes people just don't don't look you're so low people tend to not look down to find you yeah somebody
0: in a big suv just run right over you so uh yeah noise
1: though to make yourself (laughs)
0: yes (laughs) (laughs) open pipes cut off the mufflers that'll do it so i'm going to be a car psychologist today crawling to your head if you were manifest or reincarnated as a vehicle what would you be and why
1: Mm, that that's a tricky one <laughs> i th- <laughs> I think so, something like probably what we have certainly in the uk a, a ford focus st which is mm. the sporty one yeah because it's i don't know it doesn't it, it's pretty straightforward car nothing too flash and i think it's it's sort of um it's fairly practical adaptable and most people can just sort of get in the thing and, and drive it and get along with it not too extrovert but Fun if you want it to be and um, you, you want to go quickly.
0: Yeah, okay. I, I, I see where you're going with that. That makes sense. Great fun. <laughs> I hope I can. Great fun cars. Yeah, all yeah. sorts of things. If you want to go out and do some lapping days, you can have fun with that or just uh, going out to the backcountry, uh, winding through some hillsides. So, um, I love it very much. Now, of course, I always ask my guests about great books, and of course, the book we're talking about today is Steve's book, Formula One Technology, The Engineering Explained by Evro, our friends there, so we love that. I know that in recent years also, you've uh, authored a couple Haynes manuals about super successful F1 cars, the Red Bull RB6, the Williams FW14B, and the McLaren MP4. Ah, oh, That's a cool car back from the uh, 80s. Um, those collaborations and those books, were those pretty fun, I would imagine, since you've been in love with uh, Formula One racing since uh, that first trip in, in 81?
1: Yeah, oh, it was fantastic. I mean, I was, I was like a kid in a sweet shop, really, with all <laughs> those projects. And, you know, it's, it, you kind of. I grew up, I suppose, watching those cars, certainly the Williams and the McLaren in the 80s, and later the Red Bull, that was obviously later on, 2010. And to have that opportunity to go and see those cars and meet meet the people, because sometimes it's easy to forget that, you know, intertwined with motorsport and the speed and the spectacle, it's, it's people that make it all happen. And so... To to meet those engineers and talk to them and hear their stories firsthand and have them explain things, it's absolutely fantastic. So, yes, uh, a a privilege.
0: Well, I think that's why the uh, Drive to Survive uh, documentary they did was so successful because it it got back into the pits and – into the people whereas when people just watch racing especially today i mean back in the old days you could go down to the pits and see people and meet people they were approachable now everything is at a distance and when you can learn about the people and the drivers and the teams and the enormous amount of work versus just this vehicle going around it's almost like without a human in it it's so so amazing Uh, i think that's why the passion for that uh, drive to survive series is so strong i hope they continue to do that
1: Yes, I, I think you're absolutely right, and I think it, it it gives you that insight into what's actually going on, doesn't it? And I think the other thing you learn is that these people, although they're, they're all brilliant at what they do or they wouldn't be in that world... You know at heart, they're all really enthusiasts, and they're usually quite happy to share their their thoughts and their views on things and and the technology within reason, within bounds. obviously, they can't tell you everything. but you know it's like chatting to a mate most of the time. they're they're nice people.
0: Yeah, even if you don't know them, uh, yeah, they want to share their passion. So let's go on the ultimate drive today. I'm going to be a benefactor. I'm going to park anything you'd like in your driveway. You can take it on a drive, and you can take anybody with you, even somebody from the past who's no longer with us, which opens up an enormous number of past drivers, racers, people, whomever. What does the ultimate drive look like for a guy like you?
1: Well, I think, I think you mentioned the driver could be somebody different, so I kind of combined the two. Okay. And I, I, I figured probably Brian Johnson – uh, the ACDC front man okay. because he's such a car enthusiast you know I'm a, I'm a rock fan so I've always admired his work so to speak probably in a in a Mustang GT500 something like that something really brutal okay uh, a muscle car yeah and I think if you could pick any any driver in the world and for me it would have to be a racing driver then I'd, I'd go back and ask Aiden Senna to get behind the wheel I think because he was one of my heroes and I think you know, to experience his driving and his presence would be quite something.
0: Oh, my gosh. What an interesting combination. <laughs> okay. You got really creative for it. Yeah, you got really creative with this. That That's pretty darn cool. Yeah, Senna, uh, a great guy. My listeners know this. I've got one of his quotes on my business card. Uh, love that guy, watching that guy run and just talk about passion. Oh, my gosh. And another passionate yeah. guy, Brian Johnson. I'd like to get him on this show. I've, I haven't been able to reach out to him or get to him yet, but I would love to have him on the show. I think it would be a, a great talk. Love their music as well. So, yeah, loud cars, loud music, uh, fast drivers. Yes. What, in, what could be better? What could be better? You've taken us on a wonderful ride today, Steve, and I can't thank you enough for calling in today, connecting with me. And I want to do a shout out thank you to our mutual friends uh, at Evro and also Judy Stropas, who put us together. Judy brings some wonderful people here to Cars. Yeah, so Judy, you did it again. Before I let you go today, Steve, could you share some words of inspiration and wisdom, maybe a success quote or something that has meaning for you that we can share with our listeners?
1: Well, I think to sum things up and and the work ethos i think something my dad always used to tell me and i don't think it was his quote originally but that's where i got it from and that's if a job's worth doing it's worth doing well and i think that applies to any uh any job in life and life generally i think just give it your best and and see what happens
0: yeah, if you're gonna take the time, you might as well do it right. So yeah, instead of having to go back and do it again,
1: <laughs> yes, <exactly. laughs> or just doing know. yeah, you're just <laughs> doing
0: uh a, as they say a piss poor job in walking away from it. So uh yeah, great quote. It's a great thing for a dad to share with you. How can people learn more about you and your writing?
1: Well, you can find me on the Evro Publishing website, and I'm also on Facebook and LinkedIn. Great, okay. And that's probably the best way.
0: All right, I'll put uh, links to (laughs) to LinkedIn, Facebook, and of course, our friends at Everill, their publishing site for Steve, so you can reach out and learn more about what he's written and look ahead to things that are coming down the road as well. Steve, thanks for being so generous today with your time and expertise and sharing your world, and thanks for making F1 a little more understandable for us basic folks out here that find it so complicated. Uh, I'm right there with you on the math side. My wife was a a mathematical, well, she still is. She likes to do math. Puzzles for fun, huh? Makes me crush. <laughs> yeah, she was an engineering major in school when we were in college and uh, is super, super smart in that way, but my brain just doesn't work that way. I can't quite open that door, but uh, anyway.
1: No, you and I both, I think, <laughs> I'm just not quite wired that way, I don't know,
0: No, think. <laughs> but yeah, everybody's wired a little differently. Well, until you, you and I talk again, my friend, I'll see you down the road.
1: Thank you, Mark. A pleasure to talk to you. Thanks very much.
0: You're welcome. This was great fun.